Welcome to Antitrust Code by Concurrences. Concurrences is the leading antitrust database, with over 30,000 articles on competition law. Concurrences is also the largest network of antitrust experts, with lawyers, economists, enforcers, and academics in 85 countries. By listening to this podcast, you will learn the fundamentals of competition law and hear about the latest antitrust news, thanks to our guests, the best experts in the antitrust world. everyone and welcome to another episode in our foreign direct investment series. I'm delighted to be joined today by Marianne Laberne. She is the head of unit in charge of foreign direct investment in France and also my partner in our Paris office, Guillaume Nataf, who practices in this area. So welcome to the both of you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you joining me today. Perhaps, Marianne, I can start with you. And I wondered if you wouldn't mind briefly describing for us the main uh, priorities uh, of the foreign direct investment controls in France. Thank you. Thank you for this introduction and thank you for for your invitation. I am very glad to have the opportunity to talk about the French screening mechanism. So the aim of this screening mechanism in France is to protect public security, public order and the interest of our national defense. And the goal is therefore to uh, protect activities located in France, uh, which are critical for national interests, such as our strategic autonomy and uh, all the security of supply for essential raw materials or, or goods. Um, we've achieved recently an important reform of our mechanism in 2019, and this reform is one of the most significant ones since 2005 and reflects our main priorities for, for the ice cream mechanism. So it has two main objectives. The first one is to strengthen the mechanism in order to adapt to new emerging risks, to new economic and technological realities, and to new structuring of m transactions. And the other objective is to increase transparency and simplifying the administrative procedure. We think that it is essential to give legal certainty and also predictability for the stakeholders, and it allows France to remain attractive for investments. In order to achieve these two objectives, the reform adapted existing legal provisions, but also introduced uh, new ones. And in this time I have, I will not have uh, the time to go into all of the details of this reform, but I will just summarize the key points. First of all, the reform extends uh, the definition of investors and operations that fall within the scope of the FDI screening. And the, the screening now applies to even in the case of an indirect investment of a foreign entity into a, a sensitive French company. Then we also introduce new sectors to the list of sensitive sectors subject to the screening. This was not the first time this list was amended. It has already been done in 2014. But in 2019, we introduced three new sectors to the list. The first one is critical activities for food security. The second one is critical activities for the media, and then R&D activities in specific critical technologies, which are energy storage and quantum technology. And by introducing these three new sectors, we took it into account from an early point standpoint, uh, the EU regulation, which established a framework for the screening of FDI. The reform also strengthens the sanction powers of the Minister of Economy and Finance in case of non-compliance with the regulation, and we found it essential to ensure the credibility and efficiency of our mechanism. 
And finally, the reform lightens administrative burden on the stakeholders, shortens the timeframe of the process and creates a simplified procedure for, for an investor to request an opinion related to the eligibility of the activity of a French target uh, to the screening procedure. So uh, here are, I think, the, the main measures we introduced with the reform in 2019. And this reform is fully effective since April 2020 and has been fully operational during the health crisis, for example. That, that was quite a reform, really an overhaul, I, I would suggest. So maybe I can ask you then, has it resulted in a, a much larger volume of uh, notifications and you talked a little bit about, you know, the sensitive sectors. I don't know if there's anything more you can say about that. Also, what about, was there any focus on the identity of the investor? So, you know, where the investor comes from? Maybe you could say a little bit about that. Yeah, it's quite interesting, in fact. And thank you for, for this question. Just perhaps before entering into the details of the main figures of our screening mechanism, uh, I just want to point out that, in fact, the year 2020, quite unusual uh, because of uh, the entry into force of this reform uh, of the screening mechanism, and also because of the health crisis that led us to adjust the mechanism. Then, in fact, we efficiently observe a higher volume of files scrutinized under our regulation, but this is quite unusual, I would say. So in 2020, we had uh, 275 cases scrutinized through the FDI screening mechanism, there were 216 in 2019 and 184 in 2018. So this is increase in the number of files subject to the control is following the global trend, I would say, of the number of MA transnational transactions, which has also increased. But it also reflects the broadening of the scope of the procedure to new operations and new sectors in France. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the sectoral distribution of the cases under screening has substantially changed in uh, 2020 because it is the first time that the number of files in strictly non-defense sectors exceeds the number of files in defense sectors. And in uh, 2020, approximately 50% of the investments under our screening mechanism were linked to non-defense sector compared to 30% in 2019. Another interesting figure deals with the origin of the investor. And in 2020, approximately half of the cases were filed by EU investors and mainly from the UK, which were still in the EU in 2020, from Germany and from Luxembourg. And the US remains the main country of origin of non-EU investors, followed by Canada and Switzerland. We did not notice major changes in the origin of investors throughout the last few years. So all these key figures provide evidence of the reinforcement of our French screening mechanism. Thank you. So, Guillaume, maybe I can turn to you um, with this major change. What, what have you seen in terms of increased, I guess, increased engagement with the system? Yeah, I mean, I'm completely in alignment with uh, Marianne in terms of the trends, because what we've seen, uh, I would say, on the ground with the, uh, the, our clients is that material reinforcement of the process in terms of uh, operation covered and sectors led not, and that, that's reinforcement that is worldwide. It's not just France. It's completely a uh, trend in Europe and, and all over the world. We now have foreign investment regulation and review very much part of the MNA life, just like merger control is for quite some time. 
So now, and a few years ago, the foreign investment regulation were really uh, focused on defense, dual-use product, cryptology, but mainly, I would say, defense. So we were warned uh, when we had a file coming in of M&A process about, oh, this is potentially related to defense or directly, so we should definitely look into foreign investment. Now that the sectors have been widened a lot, we I don't want to overstate it, but we have a look at foreign investment almost every time for every transactions, uh, because you can always have one of the sectors or subsectors that is concerned by the regulation. In particular, since the uh, inclusion of the infra- infrastructure sectors uh, in the scope of the regulation, I mean, in infrastructure, we have a lot of industry covered that covers energy, transportation, telecommunication, public health. So you can have a very, very large range of actors uh, in these sectors that are involved. And we need to be very careful and do a granular analysis of the activities at stake to see whether or not they could be considered as falling in the scope of French foreign investment. So infrastructure is now really, I would say in terms of number of files, it's the big one because we have a lot that falls into that. But now also the, all the critical technologies as defined under French law is now uh, very relevant, notably the uh, AI sectors and AI can be used in a, again, a very large number of uh, application and sectors and industries. And uh, the last trend that I would point out, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that it's going to be one of the key ones in the coming years, is the data. Data-sensitive data, how the target companies gather data, host data, communicate, digest, etc., etc. And if, if we compare a bit with some foreign uh, regimes, such as the U.S. one, we see that it's really one of the key topics now and, and one of the key uh, use of the uh, local foreign investment regulation, the CFUs. So 275 cases in a year is, is quite a lot. How are you finding process? Is the process of making the notifications working well, given the caseload of Marianne's team? It works well. I mean, I think that one of the big points of the French regime is that it's mature. And I'm not saying that, Samantha, because the UK one is quite emerging. But we have, a, I mean, in France have, has a system for many, many years. So uh, it's not a new system. It's, uh, it's working. Uh, and the review is working. But for, for sure, the key challenge in an m transaction is first scoping the activity and making sure that we are in scope or not. And, and that seems easy when you say it, but sometimes requires um, a very, uh, very detailed analysis because we do not only focus on sectors, but on whether a target in a sensitive sectors as defined has an impact on or potential impact on the French national interest. So we have a two layers of review and it's, it's a real work to do with the, the target, with the, the investor. And that's a joint analysis. Sometimes we need to involve technical experts because you have, uh, for instance, the uh, technicalities of a specific technology that could fall within the scope or out of the scope of the regulation. We need to review in depth also the uh, the contracts uh, of the target, whether or not the target is a subcontractor to a public authority, the Ministry of Defense, or uh, for a, a part of a, a very sensitive product. So that's, I would say, the first key challenge is scoping whether or not the transaction is in scope or not. And the second point, which is also sometimes a challenge in an M&A transaction, is uh, planning. We need to plan as early as possible the uh, applicability of foreign investment and the foreign investment process. So we have to engage with our clients to let them know that we should have a look at that, we should work together on that, and sometimes also with the target. 
And if so, start preparing the filing as soon as possible. And uh, the reinforcement of the regulation implied also the reinforcement of, and I mean, the, the uh, increase of the documentation and information to be provided. So sometimes when the investors group, for example, is quite complex in terms of structuring, we have to provide many information on all the chain of control from the first investor to the ultimate one. So that, that's a lot of documentation. And so that basically takes a lot of time and needs planning. So Marianne, the expansion of what you have to look at uh, beyond defence to many other uh, industries, how has that changed how you process these notifications? Well, so as, as Guillaume just said, our procedure is quite mature and so it, the reform has not changed a lot on the procedure. Perhaps just before entering into the details of the organisation of the process from the, the regulatory point of view, just I want to come back to to two issues raised by uh, Guillaume, which is the first one is uh, eligibility of the activities. So this is a, a key point for us too. And this is the reason why we put in place a procedure for the investor to ask for an opinion on the eligibility of the target. A second issue is the time frame. And so in France, we took in place a very strict and limited statutory time limits, quite short. And we've made uh, it very important in order to reduce uncertainty for the investors. On the organization of the process itself, so the procedure uh, involves skills and expertise uh, through all our public administration. So any decision taken is issued on completion of a rigorous interministerial process led by uh, the French Treasury. A special interministerial committee for the FDI screening mechanism has been set up and gathers all technical ministries and specialized public agencies uh, likely to be affected by uh, an investment. This committee is involved before and after an investment takes place. So before the committee gives an opinion on the eligibility, the sensitivity of the French target activities uh, and the risks of the operation for national interests. And after the investment, when it was authorized, provided the investor respects mitigation measures, the committee is also involved to ensure compliance with the mitigation measures. Just want to highlight also that the French procedure involves a variety of public agencies and bodies, which may allow us to detect investments that should be or should have been subject to the screening mechanism. Thank you very much. So I'm coming to the end of my questions, but I, I did want to talk to both of you about the new European coordination regulation and, and mechanism, because that must have had some impact, or maybe that's the question. Guillaume, um, has that had an impact on your work? Um, yes, so far, not as a material as uh, we could have expected. But yes, upfront, the, the immediate impact that it has is that, is that there is a form of additional I mean, information that is required by this EU screening process. So again, France being a mature country in terms of foreign investment, the authorities haven't anticipated the information request. So I would say that most of the information that must be transmitted to the EU uh, state and commission is included already in the French foreign investment regulation, but it has been reinforced quite recently. So we have another kind of layer of additional information that we must prepare and provide as part of the more general process. Mm -hmm. Then when we deal with uh, multi-jurisdictional transactions, we now uh, try to gather 
Uh, I mean, to streamline the work in the EU members as much as possible in terms of foreign investment filings, because we know basically that all the filings from all jurisdictions are going to be upstreamed and shared with all the EU countries and the EU Commission. So we need to ensure the quality of information is, this, is consistent across jurisdiction. And then once all the findings are made, we know that we could expect some questions from this EU process. So not only from the French regulator, which is not new, it's how it has always been like that, but also another layer of how potentially the transactions that takes predominantly place in France can have an impact on the Italian national interest. And so the Italian authorities can raise questions that will potentially come back to the French investor. That's a sense of multi-jurisdictional transaction must have a holistic approach and we must be ready to answer the questions for what happens in other countries, for example, if it has an impact on the French national state. Thank you very much. Marianne, how has the European regulation changed uh, what, as you quite rightly say, is a, is a pretty mature system. How, how have you had to adapt it at all? First of all, I think that the EU cooperation process interacts very smoothly with our national procedure, and we did a lot to, to make these interactions the most efficient as possible. And uh, case under screening in France can go through the EU uh, cooperation process at the same time. And it is important to highlight here that the decision of a foreign investment remains at the national level. It's really important, but the EU level is very useful as it could help us to cross-check information on an investment or an investor and to cover possible blind spots that might be left from a parallel national assessments. It also helps us to have an overall vision of a transaction and of the impact of this transaction on other member states or for the EU. At the present time, the interaction between the national and the European process works very well. The current process at the EU level is very uh, now fully valid and effective. And we really welcome this because, as you may know, France uh, initiated this regulation with Germany. So it's a very positive and very useful. The EU process does not have any impact on the statutory uh, time limit of the national procedure and does not create any delay. We've made sure during the reform that our national procedure that, that setting up the statutory limits are consistent with the EU deadlines in order that the EU process interacts very smoothly with ours. And a key aspect, I think, for the EU cooperation process being efficient is to ensure transparency of this EU process for the stakeholders. And so in France, the investor and the legal advisors of the investor are associated in the filing of the notification form for the EU. We, we also ask them to highlight confidential elements of the filing documents that they do not want to see communicated out of the national process. And I think it's important here to recall that all information exchanged under the EU procedure is highly confidential and is done through a specific tool which ensure confidential protection settings required. And this information is subject to the same confidential requirements as the ones enforced in France, including uh, business secrets, secrecy in all the EU. Thank you. That, I mean, that is very reassuring and very important for business. So thank you for clarifying that. So we're coming to the end of our time now. And Marianne, I just had one more question for you, which is, you talked about this period of time being really very unusual given the pandemic. And I just wondered if there are changes that have been made during this period of time that you think actually may last. 
when yes, the COVID crisis has led us to uh, to adapt our existing uh, screening mechanism uh, in order to better address uh, the new risks that uh, emerged from uh, from the crisis. Uh, we took two specific measures in 2020. So the first one is to extend the list of critical technologies subject to the screening. So we've introduced R&D in biotechnology sector. This provision, in fact, aimed at scrutinizing investments in prospective activities linked to public health and which are not at the industrial stage, but which are more R&D in new drugs or new vaccines, for example. So this is a long-lasting measure, I would say. And additionally, we took a temporary measure to uh, decrease from 25% to 10% the threshold of voting rights uh, triggering the screening when investments are realized by the non-EU investors and only in listed companies. So this temporary measure aims at protecting the listed companies which have a dispersed ownership and in which minority shareholders could have a decisive influence on the business and on the, the sensitive activities of a company. This measure is temporary. It initially was due to uh, expire on the 21st December 2020, and it was extended until the end of this year, as the health crisis is still going on, but it will not last. In fact, it's really specific to the health crisis and the risks emerging from it. Okay, that's very clear. So we'll watch this space for the end of the year. So I think we've now used up all of our time. I'd like to thank both Marianne and Guillaume for a podcast which has really been uh, packed full of really useful information. So thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Bye, everyone. You listened to an episode of Antitrust Code by Concurrences. If you want to read more about this topic, check the Concurrences website, where you can find all relevant articles. Follow us on Twitter at Competition Loss and join the Concurrences group on LinkedIn to receive updates on our next podcast.